Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. I apologize <laughs> up front this morning if I'm a little out of it. It's been a uh, long weekend. Let's just say that. Long weekend. But uh, I am deeply grateful to be here with you guys. That makes the difference. Um, yeah, we'll just... We're going to uh, continue our study in Ephesians this morning. Uh, last week, uh, we were in Ephesians 3. We looked at the, the final few verses of Ephesians 3. and It was, um, we titled that, You Don't Know What You Know. And it was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church that they would know the love of God that goes beyond knowledge. And the point of that, his point in that, was that we need the presence of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and allow us to know something in a deeper, more intimate way than we can possibly know just in our minds. And uh, I, I want you to hang on to that thought that the love of God is beyond understanding for you today uh, as we um, look at this morning's message because it ties in with what I, I believe we have for this morning um, we're going to slow down a little bit today. I, I, I told Tuck we could be in Ephesians for a year. It's not that long of a book. but uh, So this morning we're going to do one verse. That's the uh, first verse of chapter 4. Ephesians follows a pattern that Paul uses in most of his letters. Not, not all of them, but almost all of them are written in the same sort of format, and that is that the first half or so of the letter is always theology. It's, it's a formation of beliefs. This is, this is uh, what we believe. This is why we believe it. And then the second half is typically application of that. So now that you understand and know what you believe, here's how you put that into practice and walk it out in the course of your life. And Ephesians follows that same pattern. So uh, 1, 2, and 3 are theology, 4, 5, and 6 are application. And this verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, is really the hinge it's the place where he, he transitions. So our title this morning is The Worthy Walk. I think we're there. I want to pray, and then we'll look at uh, that, that one single verse in, in uh, verse 1. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand what it means to be worthy uh, in our walk with you today. I pray that you would bring um, the presence and comfort of your Spirit to our hearts this morning that we would be filled with uh, all of the goodness that comes uh, with you. Uh, peace, joy, hope, love, faith, uh, gratitude. There's so much that we uh, have in you and that we can take for granted. So just uh, let us uh, really absorb all of that today. In your name, amen. All right, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord... 
And therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner for the Lord, therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul um, begins here by alluding again to his imprisonment. And he makes an interesting statement. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord. So he ha- he, he's lost his freedom, lost his rights. Uh, he's behind bars in jail. Uh, you know, generally not a good thing. Okay. Definitely not goals. Uh, no one says, Hey, uh, you know, I really just want to go to jail. Um, generally would not, generally speaking, being in jail would not give you more influence in the lives of people. Although that's not always true. There are some notable exceptions. There are, there are individuals throughout history whose imprisonment has in fact increased their influence. Paul would be one of those. Um, on a more contemporary note, I think of a couple people, one being Nelson Mandela, who was... Uh, tried and accused of treason in South Africa uh, and then imprisoned for 26 years. Uh, Donna and I were in South Africa. Uh, I was there in 1981 and 82 while Mandela was in prison and experienced some of the um, manifestations of apartheid. You felt it in the air. Uh, Mandela was, of course, later released from prison and, and went on to become president of that nation and probably one of the most um, profound uh, human stories ever. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer uh, was imprisoned. He, he, he had fled Germany and come to the United States, was living in New York City, some of his countrymen were under persecution, so he voluntarily returned to Germany and was later imprisoned and then ultimately executed uh, for his part in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Of course, Bonhoeffer's uh, writings uh, have become some of the most influential in modern Christianity. And if you've never read Cost of Discipleship, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's not an easy read. Uh, it's it's deep and profound. You have to read uh, very slowly, but it's worth the effort. So all that to say that there are those uh, folks throughout history, Paul again being one whose imprisonment really did increase their influence. Um, Paul uh, characterizes his imprisonment a little bit differently and uh, go ahead and go to the next slide, Naomi. He says he's a prisoner for the Lord. He's not a prisoner of Rome, uh, which he is, but that's not how he communicates it. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. So the reason, the purpose he's behind bars is what's foremost in his mind. In his mind, uh, Paul is... uh, The fact that he's been put in jail is really... Uh, not as important as the fact uh, that he's he's really, in a sense, uh, there under his own volition. Um, he's given up 
his rights. He's given up his freedoms in submission to Jesus. And if, if, if the, the giving up of your rights and freedoms in submission to Jesus causes you to end up in a situation that you would otherwise probably not have to be in, so be it. And that is his heart and his intent in this writing. Technically, Paul is under what we would call today a house arrest, meaning this, that he's actually not in a jail cell. I said he was behind bars. He's technically not behind bars. He is in a home under guard somewhere in Rome. I don't know location-wise, but uh, he, he would have... Uh, not been allowed to leave, but he would be allowed visitors and he would be allowed, uh, he, he obviously was able to communicate through writing. So he would continue to write. That was the way he could uh, communicate with the believers in the community surrounding area. Folks would come and visit. He would pass these letters on and they would be then distributed. Um, and in another sense, there's an, maybe even a more uh, profound sense uh, that Paul is talking about being a prisoner for the Lord. He's saying in, in one way, I'm a, I'm a prisoner for everything that I've ever wanted and that my, my heart, my life have been captivated by the love of Jesus. And everything, and as, as I prayed this morning, everything that I know to be good and true of God uh, I'm held captive by that, and that supersedes anything that might be happening to my physical body here uh, under Roman guard. In one sense, he's echoing Jesus when Jesus said, if you want to find your life, lose it. There's a profundity in that understanding that I think, I'll, I'll just own it. I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm not there. Um, I would like to be. I would like to be at that place where I'm so captivated by Jesus that nothing else matters. But I don't know that I've attained that or that I ever will. Go ahead, go to the next slide. Therefore, I urge you. Uh, whenever there's a therefore, you want to know what it's there for, right? Um, so the, the, the therefore is the hinge. It's the connecting thought because of everything I've told you previously. Um what I'm about to tell you is based on that. And then he says, I urge you. And urge is a strong word. Um, in English, it's a fairly strong word. But, but really, in Greek, it's probably closer to beg. And I don't think they would have, translators would have put, I beg you. But it's really a very, very strong uh, word here. He's really, I don't know, admonishing his followers. I urge you, because of the equality, the unity uh, that, that I've been describing to you in these first three chapters, because of that, I beg you now to live a life worthy of that. That's the essence of what he's saying. And what I want to say to us today, I think the thing that stood out to me this week is that this is an important verse, an important passage, but I think it should come with a warning label. There's sirens. Um, the word worthy can be a loaded term. We don't experience this um, 
much, I don't think, in our circles here, but some some of you may have in the past, I have in the past, where you're in a a church setting where maybe you're told, you know, uh, things like, are you worthy? Are you worthy, brother, sister? Are you worthy? Um, you know, in kind of the sense that you get the feeling, <laughs> maybe I'm not. Um, and it can be loaded that way. Uh, I, I don't know. I date myself a bit, I suppose. But uh, what always comes to my mind when I hear this or read this, if you go to the next slide, um, Wayne and Garth. Do you guys even know what that is, Wayne's World? Kevin does not. Most of you can get what uh, We're not worthy. We're not worthy. They're in the presence of the great Alice Cooper right there. I, I don't know. I didn't, you know. But anyway, they were not worthy. And that's what I think of when I think of not being worthy. Um, seriously, though, I, there's a little bit of Wayne and Garth in, in all of us. Not the hair. Uh, praise God. But... Uh, uh, Dana Carvey, it's just uh, the, the the wig, the whole thing is amazing. Um, but the feelings of being unworthy, I think sometimes we we have those. We carry that around with us. Paul writes, you know, live a life that's worthy. And so I guess my thoughts, my feelings, my question, maybe to you guys today is, do you ever feel like I'm not worthy? My, my life is not what it should be. I don't really add up. Anybody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Emmy's honest. Uh, I do. I'll just, I'll go, I'll be with you. Every I do. Um, again, we, we can take that wrong and sometimes we take it like, um, our relationship with God is kind of like an employer-employee relationship in the sense that, you know, you show up on time, punch in early, do your job, do a little extra, work hard, uh, you, you know, and if you do everything right, you're okay. If not, you're fired. You're fired. Um, kind of like that. Or I heard another story that really kind of illustrated this. To me, it was a young guy who graduated from high school. He was graduated with honors, really, you know, good student, well-rounded young man. And he's uh, thinking about his future, going to go off to college. And his grandparents say, hey, uh, we want to support you. And so we're going to give you $30,000 for your college fund. That's a lot of money. That's a, that'll pay for at least a semester in some schools today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not that funny, <laughs> um, uh, but but anyway, so he's he's excited that they've given him this this extravagant gift. So he's looking at schools that are fit his you know his major and what he wants to focus his life on. And and grandma and grandpa come back and they say, hey, we were kind of you know thinking it would be good if you chose a school that was close to home, clo- a little closer. He was looking at schools in different parts of the country, and okay, so Grandma and Grandpa give me this gift, so you know I'll I'll do that. And so he ultimately chose a school that was a couple hours from home, but probably not as you know well rounded toward his goals as he might have wanted. But he did that anyway, and then. You know, he's studying hard and doing doing really well in school. And then, you know, I, college students, I don't know, but I know you, you work hard all week and study. And then on the weekend, you want to hang out with your friends, right? Let down a little bit. And 
Grandma calls and says, hey, we were hoping you could come for a visit this weekend. And uh, this kind of went on and on. Suddenly this young man realizes that that gift had a lot of strings attached to it. It wasn't a free gift at all. So I guess uh, my point is simply this, that living a life worthy in Christ isn't like an employer-employee relationship. It's not like being uh, an indebted grandchild. My grandkids aren't here today, but I'll never do that to you if you're watching. I won't give you a third grand, <laughs> but if I give you anything, I, I, you can go wherever you want, study whatever you want. Um, the free gift of God is not in any way contingent upon earning it, um, I, I I call that sometimes, you know, it's kind of like credit card Christianity. I know you guys, none of you have ever done this, but some people, when they're young, and they get your first credit card, and you go out, and you want to use it, you want to break it in, right? So you go and you buy something, and you put that card, and you they give it back, you go, wow, that was pretty fun. So you, I'm going to go buy something else. And you go do it, and you do it again, and, and this is really cool, man. I could buy whatever I want, and it's really fun, because you're not laying down any money, and you're getting all this stuff, and man, that was super fun. I got all these new cool clothes and things, and then at the end of the month... The bill comes. You got to pay the bill with real money. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever tried to pay their credit card bill with their credit card. Uh, that doesn't work. Jesus says, I, I love you for free. He loves you for free. There, there are no strings attached. There is no interest compounded daily. And, and, and I would add here, I, uh, you know... For some of us that have the propensity to try to earn it sometimes, when we do, when we try to earn the love of God in our lives, it's a miserable existence um, because you never really can. What you end up being is a Pharisee, and I'll just, it's not fun. Been there, done that. See, living a life that's worthy doesn't mean that we earn anything, we attain anything, uh, we qualify for anything. What, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to live a life worthy? Go to the next slide. The, the Greek is, you, know, you, can, you can get Wayne and Garth out of there now, um, axios. Uh, it's an, uh, worthily suitable because it's recognized as fitting, having worth that matches actual value. So go to the next slide. It's a little bit like a scale. And that what it really means is that one side equals the other. So it's simply this. This is what it, what it really comes down to. Your externals, uh, your behaviors balance out with your internals, with, with the values and morals and the beliefs you have in your heart. You begin to live your life in congruity with how you believe. And again, I think if any of us we probably all been there to some degree or another as a Christian. You become aware that your, your behaviors, your externals don't balance out with your internals. And, and again, that's a, it's a, it's a miserable place to be. There's an incongruency that is difficult. And, and, and it's so much, your, your life and your faith, everything is so much more fluid when those things balance out. And that's really all Paul is saying here. Live your life in a manner that's consistent with what you know to be true. And, and you really will be 
a more content and a happier and more settled and peaceful person when, when you do that. And again, the, the key word in all this really is the therefore. In light of everything I've said, I've told you what, what your identity is in Christ. I, I've told you who you are now. Just live like that. Just, just walk in, live in who you really are in me. And, and I want you to know that is one of the most freeing things we can experience as, as people of God. Because it's not posing. It's, it's not, so much of this life is focused on trying to be something, someone that we're not, that when we really come to that place of authenticity and walk in who we really are in Christ, it's the most freeing thing. It really is in you. It's not for anybody else. It's, it, it's just, it gives you the ability to just be uh, so free and, and, and so, at such peace in your own heart. And again, you know, it's, Paul says you've received it. It's been given to you. We don't, we can't earn that. We don't earn that. It's just, it's, it's a little bit like the prodigal son. When he comes home, you don't have to do anything. Just come home. Just receive this. Just take it. It's yours. It's all yours. Paul's saying, basically, you're saved. Live saved. You're free. Live free. You're healed. Live healed. You're delivered. Live delivered. And when we think of delivered, I I, I don't know about you guys, you know, I, you might picture, you know, demons whispering in your ear at night or whatever, but I would say this, that the manifestations of being held in bondage are really the essence of this. And that is things like addictions and temptations and stuff that we struggle with that we wish we didn't. And, and Paul's saying, you walk in who you are and, and you won't be plagued by those things. They, they literally will fall away from you. Just live like that. In another sense, it's a little bit like what David meant. I, I love the verse. He says, you're the lifter of my head. I don't have to walk in shame. I don't have to walk in guilt. I can lift my head up because of you. Really, very simply, if your identity is, just, is, is what it is, as I've described it in chapters one through three, it'll be completely natural and freeing for you to, to walk that out and live that out in the course of your life. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.